Welcome to Echoes Down the Road, a podcast presented by the band West of House. My name is Lance, and thanks for joining us for episode four of our second season, where Eric, Bobby, and I discuss the creation of our song, American, from our album, Drown the Wind, which is a rocking song that questions our social expectations. So enjoy yourself as we take you on another journey, this time on how American came to be. Welcome back, Westies, to episode four of Echoes Down the Road. We are so enthused that you've decided to join us again. As always, my name is Eric. And my name is Lance. And my name is Bobby. And Tommy is, once again, MIA. We lost him in the last episode. He went off into the wild, and, well, really, no one's seen him since. Do Do we have an idea where he might be? You know, there was that rocket that SpaceX launched recently. That's my theory. Could be. Could be could be in the space. Lance, what do you think? I think he's in the pre-wedding cave where he's not allowed to do anything wrong or change anything or mess anything up. So he's probably in lockdown. That's, That's my guess. That's not possible. What you just said is impossible. Tommy not mess something up. <laughs> just by being by himself and doing nothing. If he's locked in a cave, it's possible. He could find a way. Life always finds a way. Well, for the rest of you out there, if you see Tommy, let us know. He's a, I don't know, four foot eleven, five foot eleven, who knows? Hair like a clown, very small hands, smells like cabbage. Don't approach him, just call us and we'll come trank him and hopefully get him without further incident. But today, <laughs> w- without him, we will be talking about American, the uh, bombastic track, uh, track three on our album Drown the Wind, new album out there by West of House. That's us, if you're just picking up on that. And uh, it's. I think we're going to have a good conversation today, boys. I, I think this is going to be a nice one. I am certainly looking forward to it. Yeah, it's a good song with a lot of deep meaning that can get a little grainy, and I hope it does. But first... Watch every, every time that plays... Uh, I, I feel like I have to take a power stance. You spread your legs apart a little bit. Uh, 60 you know, 40. You know, <laughs> the, the fighting stance. The 60 and you, 40. Yeah. Stance. And you got to do the, the <laughs> Dio, or as uh, Lance said, uh, Dio. Uh, <sighs> like the, <laughs> oh, yeah. I got to bring up old shit. <laughs> do we got to relive well, that? Way to relive that. Hey, Eric. Hey, Bobby. What you drinking there? Well, you know what? I, I got a good one today. This is a good one. Let me take a, a precious sip. Um. Oh, sweet Lord. Sweet McGillicuddy. So what I'm drinking today is Pliny the Elder, which if you know beer, you may have heard of. But this is the two-stage double dry hopped Pliny the Elder by Russian River Brewing Company out of Santa Rosa, California. And uh, let me tell you, it is a winner. Now, if, if you know beer, and I'm, I'm assuming you know some of you guys out there and girls, you, you're like us and you do know your beer. Pliny the Elder was like one of those Holy Grail beers. Widely considered one of the best in the world. Very difficult to find. So when you heard of it coming out, you'd go wait in line. You'd go tell friends to hide a bottle for you behind behind a keg somewhere. And, you know, the hunt was part of it. And so now in California, we're kind of spoiled. I've probably had, I don't know, 100, 120 of these. Bobby, have you ever had Pliny the Elder? I can't say that I have, no. 
That's a new one for me. Bring some next month. Yeah, I, I think we I think we could smuggle some across state lines. But anyways, Ply the Elder is good. And and now that you've had it, no, Lance, you've had it plenty. Oh, definitely. So the thing is, once it becomes readily available, you realize it's still a really good beer, but it's not as good as when you couldn't find it. And that's just something about the hype. So what they did is they came out with a double dry hopped version. Dry hopping, uh, for you guys that don't know, it's, it's the process of adding hops, you know, a- after the beer has already started, you know, brewing and for- fermenting and you're getting all that flavor and complexity going. So what they do is they add hops later, uh, kind of around day seven, and it's called dry hopping. So with a double dry hopped beer, you could probably guess what they did. They did it twice. They did it twice. Woo-hoo! So th- the second time they throw in some more dry hops, so you really get a very pine cone resiny thing. And you guys who are longtime listeners, you know this is my wheelhouse. This is my milieu. This is the thing that I get up in the morning and smile when I know that the pine cone is going to smack me in the teeth. And this is this is no slouch here. Uh, very good. Uh, you can order it from the Russian River website. And I highly recommend their stuff. Their IPAs are excellent and their sours are out of this world. Speaking of tasty, why don't you pause right now, listeners, Westies, and give American a spin? You know, give it a little listen, get it, get those worms in your head, those little listening earworms, so you know what we're talking about when we talk about it. So why don't you go ahead and do that now? All right, so Westies, hope you enjoyed it. It's it's just such a visceral song to me. I, I mean, I don't know how you guys, how you react you know, when you hear American, but it's, I don't know, punch, punch you in the face. Maybe I've used that term too much, but that's just, just kind of how I feel when I hear that song. Yeah, and it's one of those songs that we've discussed as being a potential starter because it really does do that. It just kicks off with some attitude, some quality guitars and driving drums, and obviously provoking vocals, which we're going to talk about that tonight, aren't we, boys? I mean, we should probably bring it up. It would be... You know, kind of dickish, not to, true. I suppose since it's the title of this episode, it would be weird if we didn't. Yeah, if we just like started talking about Sunshine Girl instead, it would be <laughs> a, a a good tease. So this song came about uh, really early in the Drown the Wind writing sessions. I started it in October 2020. So back when we were promoting Crescendo of Silence, I was in the studio, you know, coming up with uh, Riftopia. And this one had a really cool demo name. This was one of my favorite demo names. Do you remember what it was, Lance? Ride some kind of an animal, right? It was Ride the Tiger. Ride the Tiger. Now, throwing it over to Bobby, who won't disappoint me, what is that a reference to? Uh, uh, oh, geez, we were just talking about it. Hang on. It's a, uh, it's a Holy Diver reference. Thank you. <laughs> From Ronnie James. Dio. Dio. I'm Dio. glad you guys pronounced that correctly tonight. So Dio. shameful. Who was, I mean, a lyrical giant. Ride the tiger. You can see his stripes, but you know he's clean. Oh, such a good song. So many layers there. I mean, we could spend a whole episode just parsing that phrase. I, I was looking at the notes and I saw that and immediately in my head, I knew I had the lyric, the ride the tiger in the wrong key. But yeah, I, I taught my kids that when they were like four. And yeah. they go around throwing horns and, you know, chanting, ride the tiger, because 
you know, Dio should be acknowledged and worshipped. I'm guessing Lance's children don't even know who Dio is, and that's that's a travesty. No, because we know it is Dio, so that would be most of the reason why. Oh my god. <laughs> oh, god. So, so going back, God, this episode's gonna last three hours at this rate. Uh, the de- the demo for this was just chock full of guitar glory. I don't know what kind of mood I was in. I'm not sure what I was listening to, but it was obviously something with like 20 or 30 guitars. So, uh, you know, I, I laid down this demo. It's got a lot of guitars on it. We're going to play that for you right now. Let's let's take a listen. So that's a, you can hear the song there, but this song is a great example of one that really evolved from the demo version to the final. Uh, I, I mean, I'd even argue if you played them back to back, there's a lot of things that you're like, I, I don't even hear that in the final. Now it's all there, but as we add layers in the recording process, sometimes things get lowered and other things get pushed aside and things get killed and a new a new life emerges, you know, from the primordial ooze that is the demo and this is kind of out of order but i i want to play the bridge from the demo and then i'm going to follow it up with the bridge from the final version i know we're going to play the entire song at the end but i i want you to to hear the differences even though it's the same progression the same chords are all there but hear the differences between so here's the demo bridge Okay, now now here's obviously the final bridge instrumentally. We'll we'll take the vocals out. Okay, so call me crazy, but those two things they don't even sound remotely alike. It's called progress and um, refining the song and what it calls for. Evolution. I like that. We're getting very, uh, very Darwin in this episode. Survival of the fittest, and sometimes the weakest guitars, you know, go by the wayside. Not that my guitars are weak. Shut up, Lance. <laughs> so, so to break down my guitars, uh, so I've got five guitars on the verse alone. So I've got the one, I've got the E minor guitar that's just chugging it, it's holding it down. So this one you're hearing right now, just you know, so that's what's going on. Now four guitars color that. So let's add in those four guitars with the chugga. So you can kind of hear, if you're a musician, you know what's going on. If you're not, hopefully hopefully you find you know this interesting when we kind of break it down and then add these layers on top of it. So you have, you know, I tend to do left and right guitars, and they're, they're subtly different, playing the exact same things, but some will use, 
uh, a different trim or a different phaser effect, something to keep your ears kind of happy. So when you put on headphones, which is a great way to listen to Drown the Wind, you got to listen to it in headphones. You'll kind of hear all these different things going on every time you listen to it because we want you to come back and, you know, kind of discover these these little Indiana Jones secrets that we got. Now, Eric, I, I just I just got a text from the Secret Textoso line that Westy asked, how does Eric play five guitars at the same time in one section of a song? That just seems impossible. Well, you know what? That is a great question. Um, I'm glad that, that we had someone text that in. It's, it's always nice to know that people are texting us, you know, in a pre-recorded episode. I don't know how you guys do it, but... Well done, man. That's some witchcraft. Our operators are standing by. Yes, our our prescient minority report operators are listening. Nice. <laughs> are listening to your thoughts ahead of time. So so what I do, Lance, is I, I play one guitar at a time. And I will play one guitar in the verse and then another and then another. So I'm really playing in a part like that, five guitars. I'm playing it at least five times. That's assuming I get it right when I play it. That makes sense. Yeah, it's. I wish I could just get it all done at once, but I, I don't have the, uh, you know, the the four necked heart guitar like Steve Vai did. And uh, the chorus, I I laid low. There's only four guitars on that, so we got two to drive the rhythm. And we got two more that come in, and they kind of do that melody line. That so that you know, I I didn't auto tune that one because you can tell it's it's late at night and I'm tired. And that inspired the vocal hook. So that melody line came first. I had not written uh, any lyrics for this. But then when I sat down to write the lyrics, that that hook was so strong that I based the high uh, American, that kind of high falsetto vocal that comes in the chorus, off that. And now going on to the to the bridge, which we kind of talked about, uh, four guitars on that one. Those are playing right as I speak. And you'll hear there's there's a lot of trim and phaser effects. Now all the guitars are different. They're all doing different things, and or they're doing the same thing and with different effects. But it just it creates that, I don't know, what, what would you call it, Bobby, the West of House sound, all those layers of guitars? I mean, it's a combination, the West of House sound in, in my head is a combination of all the layers, whether it's, in this case, all guitars, um, or, uh, you know, sometimes we add strings and synthesizers and keyboards and stuff, but it's just the thick layers mixed with that ambient bed behind everything. But enough about me, let's... Uh... Like we talked about last week, Dave finally played on a song, you know, which is wonderful. Now, Dave only did two tracks. He, again, was in baby mode and getting a lot of stuff done, but he added some really critical parts, uh, namely that that intro walk-in uh, right before the song starts. We'll play that real fast right now. So you can hear you can hear kind of that walk-in to the guitar part. And, and for, I don't know, for whatever reason, that just really sold me right away. It's like, oh, that's taking me right into where I want to go. And then he added uh, uh, some color guitars, uh, which you're playing right now. And a lot of, uh, uh, well, I, I put trim again in my notes. I, now, this is kind of a trim, the whammy bar. We'll say the whammy bar in a guitar. For those not in the know, that's a little metal thing. And he's 
He's pushing him down and doing all these dive bombs and stuff and some long melodic leads, you know, that are going on with him. A lot of color from Dave. So not a lot of tracks, but very important ones. Now in this, and we brought this up last episode, what sets this song apart from any other song on the album? Lance, quiz show, go. Kevin and Dave are playing simultaneously on it. Oh, finally. Thank God you knew something about our band. We should probably just end the episode now, tell people to subscribe and go home because it's all downhill from here. So so Kevin and Dave played on the same song. Now, Kevin, uh, so Dave got in early. Dave laid his tracks down in January and Kevin wasn't too far behind him. Now, he did six layers for the song and he did, and Bobby can correct me, I'm sure he's looked at the stems. He did uh, left and rights and I don't think the left and rights are too different on his, just more for thickness. And he adds a, a lot of melody and harmonics, and you can kind of hear them. It, when you hear Kevin's guitar, uh, you know it. He, he definitely has a signature style, wouldn't you say? Yeah, absolutely. Um, a lot of what he added, and what he typically does add, um, that I've noticed, is that sort of color and accenting sort of stuff on top of whatever you've already laid down. Um, so he's highlighting or bringing out certain parts um, whether it's rhythmically in where he places the notes or he's contrasting whatever you're doing by playing higher or lower harmonically um, along with you. Um, in this case, yeah, it was a lot of sort of accented sort of things in a very, while it doesn't sound like a U2 song, in that way it's very much a, a barn-burning rock song. He was accenting a lot of what you were doing and just adding flavor and color to that. Yeah, I think he feels often... His magic is that he fills those spaces that you maybe not realize that there's emptiness with color that often I, I don't think I would have thought of or it completely changes some of the the tones or flavor of a song by filling in these little voids with color that only Kevin can do really. You know, just and it ends at outro. The outro's fading and Kevin's kinda of still wailing and just those long melodic lines yeah, that I, I dig. Right, and, and I do still love The Fallen probably more than any. But this one bothers me almost even more in a good way because it there's, like, not enough. Like, it, it doesn't come in as early. It doesn't develop. It's like, wait, what is that? That's bitchin'. Wait, it's going away. The song's over. Ah! No, no don't fade! Don't fade! Yeah, no! it, it's a little painful because it's such a bitchin' little line, but... As always, you leave us, you know, yearning for more. Let's talk about drums. We should. Uh, so there were drums. Now, bass guitar. Uh, <laughs> he, he did this to himself, it's, man. Tommy did this to himself. It's never not funny. It's, uh, you know, how about uh, Lance? Why don't you be Tommy today and and tell us a little about the drums American? And, and maybe Bobby and I will fill in some blanks. Well, I try to block all of these things out because... They end up becoming small little battles since, if I remember right, this one was one that had a lot of deadlines missed. Am I right? Yeah, but he was not the last one to record. He was not the last one to record on this song. That will be a, a person who shall remain nameless, but uh, it we'll call him Bance wow. Letcher. So I was the last one, huh? Yeah. So, yeah, so you, you kind of set yourself up for failure there, but. But what else do you remember about drums besides him being late, which he was? I have such a bad memory, but I think the only thing I do recall is there was a stylus, 
kind of a style issue, if I remember right, like what we were going for and what he was playing. And and uh, he really fought himself, I think, more than anything. He didn't like most of what he did, if I remember right. And eventually, we obviously found something that worked, but that's mostly what I remember, and I don't even know if that's accurate. No, I think you're right. I mean, this one was a bit of a fight. He overthinks his parts, and usually it's a good thing because he's thinking about every hit, every little symbol, where everything should go. Uh, but this is one where he overthought it, and his first few passes, it just it didn't work. And then I think uh, after a, a pep talk, which, or I yelled at him, whatever you want to call it, you know, I, we basically like I, I think in one of our group chats, it was like, just shut up and play, just play it, just play the damn song, and that's that's all said in love. You got to know us. There's a lot of love and jibing back and forth. But then he came back with, I think it was his third take. So just three takes, which studio people out there, it's still pretty damn good uh, to nail a song in three takes. And the third time he came back, he nailed it. So he had the, the syncopation that's on the chorus. That was always there. That was from his first take and that was right on. But then in that, by the time he got to that third one, he, he destroys the verses. They're just, they're gorgeous what he's playing under there. He's got that really cool intro that just kind of stands alone. And really, he plays his ass off on the song and, and did a hell of a job. Yeah, I love his intro. It reminds me of a nice 80s drum intro. And I mean that in a very loving way. You know what I expect to hear after that intro? What song? Like a Simple Minds kind of a song? Take On Me by Aha. Uh-huh. If you play that song and then play the play the intro to American and then you hear that little keyboard come in on Take On Me and it's it's very similar. So I always expect like, you know, I always expect that to come in and, you know, cartoon Morton Harquette, you know, owner of the longest held live note in the world. Uh, he comes in and he starts singing and then we're all, you know, trying to break through and there's some weird mechanics trying to kill us. No, it's, it's a catchy start. And I don't know, Bobby, if you put on some effects to that or if that was a Tommy thing, but it, it's very compressed and very dry and I don't know. It has a fun, catchy sound to it before we all enter. So it, it it's a fun thing. And this kind of ties back into everything needs space to exist when it comes to recorded, reproduced music. Um, because there's just that intro with him playing, the it actually gave him a bunch of space to breathe. That's pretty much just raw drums. I mean, with the processing I would have already put on it to make it fit within the context of the rest of the guitars, bass, and vocals, it's just without those instrumental elements in there. There's nothing special done specifically for that intro. We do have a, another song we'll talk about in another episode, with us with that we like tailored the drums but this was just i mixed them with everything else in mind uh because there's a a philosophy in mixing where you don't want to mix something in solo you want to mix it with everything else playing so you know how it sounds that way because nobody else westies unless you're listening to the podcast hey are you're not really going to hear elements in solo so i mixed it with the rest of the band context in mind and then that was that two bar intro is just his drums with everything else not playing. So yeah, nothing special done there. That's just him playing and playing his ass off. It sounds like there's compression. It's so dry and clean, but I guess if that's what it sounds, I mean the drums, the drums, 
Yeah, the drums are compressed. I, I mean, I compress my drums, but they're compressed through the whole song. They're not treated any differently nice. for that intro is what I should say. And Eric, going back to that, his third take, there was a pretty long break between his second and his third, right? Yeah, very long break. Uh, what, probably a month? Yeah, because I think we told him, like, let's do another one, let's move forward, and I don't know if he listened to us, but I know it was a long time frame. And this happened on Crescendo, too. Sometimes you need a another song to cleanse the palate. And with uh, on Crescendo, we talked about it last season, it was Denmark. You remember the Denmark calling episode? Uh, so much crap going on in that one. And we shelved it. I threw it out, never going to make the album. And we moved into Chasing After Memories, which could not be more different. And that came together super fast. And then I said, hey, let's go back to Denmark. And everyone was just, the minds were all reset. And so I think I don't remember what we did, what we did after American. I think the next one was Distraction. So I think we moved on to Beautiful Distraction, you know, which a very, very simple drum beat. Uh, that song, so much is going on. Tommy just had to lay down the foundation, and then we came back, and that whatever it reset his mind. You know, the hard drives are spinning up again, and nailed it, nailed it, nailed it well. It's awesome rocker. So, you know, then we got guitars, we got drums, and what's missing from this picture? One of the few songs that you were last on, man. Do you know why? What's up with that? I don't know. I don't remember that. I mean, usually you're dependable, but I guess... Was I dragging ass? You just really flaked out on this one, man. Because I have you doing this in April. When did Tommy finish his? Earlier April. <laughs> <laughs> you're like okay. a week after him. Hey, that's But you were still last. But, but, you know, talk us through it. Tell, tell us what happened. Well, I mean, this song, I think, was the first one, and I could be wrong, but it, for me, and I was, I was just going to talk about things that I've experienced and learned through this recording process. For those who didn't, shame on you, but if you didn't listen to our first season, um, you know, the technology and recording by myself or without other people doing it all for me. I, this is all a new world for me. And something that I started experimenting with about this time, using this interface, I've got two channels to play with here and I've got some old cables and some two in one type things that I started taking my guitar line and I basically split it. So it, in my opinion, went to stereo on my two channels that I had available. I didn't know what I was doing. All I knew is on my headphones, which is all I got. Don't have any monitors in my world anymore. It just sounded meatier and thicker or it just sounded better. It, it recorded better. I can't really explain it, but I didn't know if anybody else would notice. And this may be the first one, maybe the second one where I think Bobby made a comment about on our text thread about there's Lance dropping this meaty, meaty bass or whatever. And, and, uh, so I realized it must be a better product on the back end, shall I say, Bobby. Do you, I mean, do you recall that? So, I, I mean, I definitely recall talking about you bringing the thunder. Um, so when, this is the first I'm hearing of this, so you're getting a, a raw reaction, Westies. Um, when you were doing this, you, you just split the bass. You weren't running through a separate processor or anything. You just duplicated it through the two inputs. I'm going to answer that with, I think so. <laughs> yeah so like all of crescendo and the first two or three that i recorded on this album 
was just my cable going into one of my channels, trying to find the, the right volume and kind of EQ stuff. But it, I don't know why I did it. For some day, it just sounded thin to me. And so I had this idea where I basically have a cable splitter and it takes the single channel line and it splits it into two and I stuck it in both channels and I really dug the sound. It made a huge difference in my opinion on my end. And then you made a comment. I think it was the first time I did it or second time. And uh, I was sold at that point. But yeah, that was fully out of my back pocket. I did that. I am so confused because from a technical standpoint, it's, it's the same track. <laughs> I think you, you just, just made, made it louder, louder man. <laughs> well, it sounded a lot better, but it wasn't like, I didn't have to turn it <laughs> up. If that makes any sense. <laughs> <laughs> louder is more better in this yeah. case, man. I don't know. All I'm saying, I, it, but it has a deeper low end. <laughs> it, it sounds thicker. It sounds I mean, to be fair, I'll, I'll, I'll be honest with you. This was also about the time I finally installed a subwoofer in my studio. So it could be that. Lance, your bass is the, uh, it's the ivermectin of music tracks. <laughs> I mean, to you, I, I, know it, I know it sounds better, but I'm, gonna, I'm just going to go on the record and say what you did didn't do anything differently. Well, it sounded better on my end. A thousand percent. Placebo. I don't know. <laughs> that's all that matters everyone every study needs a placebo so you did great so i'll man. give you one more audio track difference oh when I, give us more nuggets when i was playing with the single line in and i don't remember this from the first album but the first few songs when i recorded it would only show so you know how like it starts to clip you know when it's outside the range of your channel whatever yeah I would only get, if you draw that line that's straight across, I would only get like a vertical direction on my recording. It would not go up and down, you know, together, kind of showing that depth of the sound. And that was, I don't know if that was my trigger of like, that looks different and it sounds thin. So that's why I'm like, well, let's double it up. So then I did that and then it actually looked the way I thought it should on my computer. Lance, let's get super nerdy. What kind of bass are I'm you playing? I'm playing a 1998 American Jazz Deluxe. Okay, and that's a fully passive bass? It's not active? It's active. Fully active. Um, and yes, I changed, my, changed battery. my battery. Yes, I did. Okay. <laughs> wow. But that wouldn't affect... I had to take a stab. But that wouldn't affect that, I wouldn't think. Well, obviously, a it, it wouldn't... A working a working battery it may do have something what to do with it. This was doing. Had you changed the battery and then you tracked it? I don't. Is that possible? He, he tracked all of Crescendo on a dying battery, and it sounded phenomenal. And then he changed and it, then screwed and it all up it for possible. Deer on the Wind. All I know <laughs> is I haven't changed it since, and it always sounds thicker and meatier than it ever did before. Dude, I I don't care what you do. Your parts are always so freaking good. And and what what you may lack in technical prowess, you more make up more than make up in chops. So you do you, man. I don't care. Split everything. Throw in throw in a a, a D battery instead of your nine volt. Just see what happens. Just soldering. cram it in there. I'm gonna I'm gonna get you a, a new interface with four ends and have you split the Ooh. splitter. And we're gonna bring <laughs> the freaking four holes. Man. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's four times louder. Hey, 
Uh, I guarantee it'll help. So that, that's all. Uh, you you it, cannot you cannot yeah, script this. It, None of this is scripted, my friends. This is just pure, unadulterated yeah. Lance Bletcher, which it, it cannot be. He cannot be duplicated Raw. in any it's way. True. One of a kind. Now, now, Eric, you've got a note here about the chorus being an issue with your rhythm. And yeah. I do, do you remember not that? remember that. That's shocking. I know you're so that surprised. That is shocking. So, so, so let's let's listen to the uh, chorus from the demo right now. Okay, so you hear there's some really fast chord changes going on. So now what happened when Lance got this? Now there's 25 guitars, and I'll I'll be I mean this isn't his fault. You can't hear that rhythm, but that's actually the rhythm that's driving the song. So I Lance originally he sent me a track and I think it was track it was some of Kevin's thing and he's you know playing some power chords and there's maybe two chord changes. And I got it back. I'm like, no, dude, play the chorus because it hadn't it hadn't clicked with me that in your version you couldn't actually hear what I was playing. And so he brought something back. I'm like, no, play the damn chorus, man. And then finally, I'm like, oh, he that, he can't hear it. That's why. So I sent you a version and I cranked up my rhythm. And now when you listen to the bass, you know he's following that line. That kind of creates that movement under that chorus where there's a lot of very you know, linear lines going on, that movement keeps it going. So you can't, you still can't hear my guitar, but now Lance is there holding that foundation down for us. No, I do remember that actually, because I'm like, bro, what are you talking about? I'm hearing what I'm hearing and I'm playing something that complements it. But they, at least maybe it was because I generally record with like iPod earphones and that probably adds to it. Shame, Bobby. Yeah, Bobby is shaking his head on her Skype because Lance, you know, again, one of the best bass players I've ever met, records with freaking, I what, AirPods. No, they're not even AirPods. No. Air, AirPods don't have cords, man. I can't depend on that. The, the, the battery might crap out, so I need corded. <laughs> oh, my God. This is the stuff you find in the gas station. Like when you forgot to bring your earbuds, like, oh, I just need something really quick. So you get a Jolt and, and a you know, $6.99 thing of earbuds. It's Apple products. It's, it's the ones they pass out on, uh, it's Apple on Sun Country Air. Or spirit. You keep saying Apple product. I'm pretty sure it's like the Beats knockoff that, like Eric said, you get at the gas station. Yours actually says Crapple. No, they they came with an iPad or something years ago. They they are the Apple. It said no, no, no. That's that's a you pood, not an sure, iPad. Sure. And that's what that's what you record a fully professional album on. Hundred percent earbuds. What, what, if I win the Powerball, I'm coming out to your place and we're doing an episode of Pimp My Rig, man. We need to hook you up Dude, with some you good guys, stuff. The bass, it's amazing. the instrument is solid. Everything else around it, man, we need to beef up. <laughs> you, you see why the release of an album around here is a really big deal? Because, you know, nature rises up and says, you can't do this. And we say, screw you, nature. We can and we will. It's true. And I've also learned through this process, I'm pretty sure... Now I'm getting a little nerdy here, but my ear, like 
again, I just keep saying the word holes, but like my ear channel, my ducts or whatever. Sure. Canal. Like this ear Panama canal. canal. I swear mine are like, they make a sharp turn or something to where, like if I have earphones or head, earpod, earpods, headphones, whatever, like I got to have it nine to, to full volume. And I'm walking around and my wife's like, dude, I can hear every word Eric is singing. I'm like, dude, I can barely hear it. So what I've learned is if I pull my my little earbuds out a little bit and flip them like 90 degrees, then it really blasts my ears out. So I feel these this are- is real unplugged, Lance. Now, I've said this to you, Eric, and you, you've laughed at me about this. I said, yeah, the, the low end is so nice. And you're like, what are you listening? I'm like, dude, with my, my earbuds. <laughs> you can't ear bass and earbuds I okay so here's what I think's happening is when I've got on full blast it's like going into my skull so I'm getting like a deeper wavelength or something and so it's such a low end but yet when I pull them out and flip them a little bit then it's like all tinny and it's way too loud for me so it, there's a very finite place in my ears that sound I can really manipulate. So you see, Bobby, when we do notes for mixing, this is why we don't let Lance comment. I, well, I don't ever talk about it because I have nothing to bring to you. I don't hear what you guys are hearing. So, Well, well like now I'm going to wonder which notes are we getting when they're in your ears or pulled out a little and flipped? You know, wh- which version are we mixing for? To his, to his credit, Tommy does the car test, which even I don't do anymore. Uh, the car test being where you take the song out to your car and listen right. to that it. Was, on that was that was an eighties trick. We yeah. did that in the eighties and nineties. That is how the band The Cars got their name. I love that. They're no awesome, joke. by the way. Um, I did not know that. That is good trivia. Yeah. So, but like Lance, all that tells me is that your hearing at this point in your musical career is garbage. So our whole are you saying our whole rhythm section is deaf? No, because Tommy can't hear a damn thing. <laughs> no, I can hear. I can. I can feel it more than I can hear it. Does that work? You're like a walking version of Sound of Metal. It was all that free diving, man. I've got a little bit of tinnitus in my left ear for sure. And leprosy. I've, most of that's cured. You know what? You know, For you know, one of your birthdays, I'm going to buy you like a really nice pair of Sennheiser Studio headphones. And I want you to actually hear music how it's supposed to sound. Which means we also need to get you some speakers, man. I want to get him some decent speakers and get his room calibrated. And I want to hear, I want him to hear the before and after with his crappy knockoff crapple ear pods versus a well-tuned set of speakers. I want that to happen. I want that for you. I wish Lance could have appreciated that. But while you were talking, I literally saw his soul leave his body. All right. Should should we move on? We shall. (laughs) Yes. Absolutely, we should. I mean, we could we could talk more about you, Lance. But hey, it's fine. It's all the truth. <laughs> I've got uh, hearing issues, but I make it work. Oh, I love it. Hey, it's great content. It's I'm I'm glad that you feel comfortable with the Westies. That you're okay. I don't care. My stuff. last round of golf, I started birdie, birdie, birdie. So I'm a happy man. I am. Doesn't matter what else happens. And and how did it? How did it end? I shot one over, so I gave four back. It's all right. Well, let me know when you find a real sport. Uh, so going on to vocals. <laughs> uh, vocals in this were an absolute joy. Complete fun to track. There is nothing more enjoyable than singing a flat-out rock song. Uh, I think this one was one or two takes, maybe. 
Uh, just singing that that kind of high stuff, very forceful. It's, it's very easy. It's hard to do. I don't have time to give a damn, but I got a pretty flag for you. There's not a lot of a ton of nuance, like when we're talking about something like uh, distraction or where to begin. Some of these things are a little more delicate. And really, the only thing I tracked separately than the main, well, I do I do verses and choruses separately, just to kind of break it up for me and make it easier for Bobby. Uh, but I did I did the American hook, you know that really that earworm that you hear in the chorus. And the uh, well, those I track those separately because I kind of wanted a different sound, kind of like a gang vocal sound, even though it was just me. And then uh, BGVs on this uh, returning guest star Bobby Phillips, uh, you threw some stuff on this one too, didn't yeah, you? Yeah. So the 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 big thing I threw in for the vocals um, primarily was on the choruses, not the uh, the high falsetto American part, but I basically just did a for the music nerds, a one-third up. It's hard to do. But yeah, I pretty much did that. The only other part, um, I had originally tracked a harmony um, in the bridge, which I don't remember if I pitched and ditched before I sent it to you or if I sent it and we said no. I think I recorded it and then decided against it. I still have it in the session, though. But I had recorded a harmony on the line, foot on your neck. And we can delve into the lyrics uh, later into this. Foot off your neck. But I recorded harmonies on all the main chorus lines minus the high Americans. It's hard to do. I don't have time to give a damn, but I got a pretty flag for you. Don't lose your shine. Just look wide in the mirror, dear, and everything. And then I have one line in the second verse at the very end, the no one can afford the rent. We can play that right now. No one can afford the rent. But otherwise, it was pretty straightforward. I just followed you on those lines pretty much straight up. And it's actually, it's it's pretty far back in the mix on this track, actually. I really wanted you to take the lead on this. So if you're listening to the the studio version of the album, you know, on Spotify and Apple Music and all that, you'll you kind of have to listen for that harmony. It's not nearly as far forward as something like Entwined or any of the other songs that I did end up singing back up on, which we'll get to in the later episode. So I have to reveal one thing though, Eric. This song, when I first heard it as Ride the Tiger, once once you added the lyrics and all that jazz. <clears throat> This is one of those songs for me that it's now one of my favorites on the album, but it was one of my least favorites initially out of the shoot. And, and it was, I know. Oh my, this is shock. This is a shocking revelation. I've never told you this. And I, I even told Jenny, I remember we were driving in the car test, which I think our sprinter van has horrible speakers, but we all know I can't hear. So maybe they're great, but, but like they have kind of that, I don't want to, I'm such an old school classic rocks, like Southern rock kind of fan where the lyrics for me, not the lyrics, but the actual vocals, they kind of have this, this groove to it that is very hard for me initially, but cause there's like this attitude and there's this essence of it that doesn't just kind of flow really smoothly, which is kind of 
something I like in general as lyrics go, but now I love it to death. And like I said, it's one of my favorites and it's grown on me immensely. But initially I was like, whoa, this is, this doesn't like flow well. This is so edgy and uncomfortable. And it's amazing to me how much this song has transformed for me and, and how much I like it now from where I initially heard it. I was not like pumped on it. Hmm. I mean that as a compliment somehow. <laughs> hmm. Somehow. Thank, thanks for sharing. Yeah. I, I would I would almost wonder, just dissecting it, if it's primarily the verses that trip yeah. you up. It be, because it's it does have an a a, a non traditional, I guess, rhythm to the vocals against the the backing track of the guitars, drums and bass. Yeah, it's definitely the verses. Um that is be, that's interesting because it didn't. I wouldn't say I was like oh, I don't know about this one, but I was definitely like, oh, this is different. And then it got to the chorus. Now, uh, to to further offset my like, this is interesting. Dot dot dot. Um, every now and then, when I get tracks from Tommy for his drums, because the the way it works for us is Eric sends me everything except the drums, and then Tommy sends me the individual drum tracks. Every now and then they're off by a bar or two, and I have to listen to the demo to make sure I've got them in the right spot. And I didn't listen closely enough to the demo. So I, I had the drums actually off by a bar in our very first pass of the mix. And I thought it sounded cool. It was kind of progressive. But as soon as I sent it off to the guys, Eric and Tommy were both like, you know, the drums are off by a bar. <laughs> And I was like, oh, and as soon as I as soon as I slotted the drums in where they were supposed to go, when I actually paid attention and, and did my damn job, I listened to the transitions from verse to chorus and I was like, oh, that fill goes here. I slotted it back and the whole song just suddenly made sense. Um, but but I'll I'll agree that the verse vocals did trip me up at the very beginning, but they definitely grew on me as I worked through the song. Screw you guys, I'm not talking to you anymore. <laughs> No, but honestly, I, it's like one of my favorites of the album now. So. <laughs> I often start okay. this album I, on this song. I, I accept it. They're they're different. There's a completely different feel to this than any other yeah. song we've ever done. In many ways, the song's supposed to piss you off. Maybe not the <laughs> rhythm I'm singing, but hey, if 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 that's what gets a you know a glower out of you, then so be it. Um, Bobby, uh, any other kind of studio notes or anything that was interesting about this before we dive into the lyrics and go mono e mono? You know, I was thinking about that as I pulled up the session earlier today just to refresh myself on how it was organized and, and what all I did to it. And for the most part, it's pretty straightforward. I will say, as we got to our post-production phase where we go back through and revisit each individual song, uh, the first thing I did and that I do in this sort of situation is I pull all the songs together and we've got a track listing as far as what order the songs are going to go in from start to finish of the album. And I pull them all together, put them in that order, and I do uh, a rough master where I get all the songs roughly the same volume and tonally the same so that we don't have a drastic change where one song sticks out in a bad way and sounds like it doesn't belong on the same album. So we do that with the West of House tracks for Drown the Wind and get everything sounding roughly the same. And I keep coming back to American, which was, I think, like the fourth song out of the 11 that we did as far as the mixing. It was pretty early in the process. 
I remember I kept coming back to it because I just couldn't get it to mesh with everything else. And it ended up being that for whatever reason, I took my stupid mixing pills that day and the drums were complete trash. Nothing to do with Tommy, everything to do with me. I mixed them in such a weird way. I think I was trying on the, on the initial mix to get as much attitude out of them as I could. And I was pushing forward certain frequencies to get them to crunch and punch through, which on its own sounded okay, but, but melded in with the rest of the album, it stood out in the worst way possible and just didn't sound like it belonged. So I had to actually go back and remix the drums on American effectively from scratch. And I, I took an afternoon to do that early in our pre-production process. Once I did that, it, it melded in with the rest of the album and sounded um, more cohesive between Entwined and the next track. But that's about the only interesting thing uh, that I can think of. Everything else, it was a pretty straightforward rock song other than the, the myriad of guitars. Um, but I love mixing walls of guitars, so that wasn't a problem. It was just getting those drums to sit with the rest of the album. Otherwise, this one was pretty straightforward. That's good. Thanks for those insights. I'm glad, I'm glad you're here on all these for the studio stuff. It's fun, man. That's, uh, that's something we can, I mean, we can speak for Tommy, kind of. But when it comes to the studio stuff, we we can't read your mind, man. So No, I love being here, man. This is so much fun. I, I could nerd out on this stuff all day. Well, speaking of speaking of nerds and fun, uh, you know, even though you guys apparently hated the vocals, which is fine. Not uh, true. Let's move on to the lyrics, which, I mean, really are just easy to digest and just simple little poems, you know, thrust forward on a musical plate. I, I could I could play this song for my grandmother. And and I say that genuinely. My my grandmother speaks ill of our previous president, and uh, she would actually genuinely appreciate this song. <laughs> it's a uh, yeah, it, it's interesting. You know, I the funny thing is, you know, you listen to a lot of our stuff, and we, we kind of have themes that go all over. You know, they'll be like uh, a complete dyed in the wool love song, and it will be followed by a scathing rebuke of a political leader, which will be followed by a upbeat poppy song about death, which will be followed by, well, God knows, you know, and I'll I'll be brutally honest. That's brutal with two zeros. I don't set out to write a certain type of song. I don't, you know, play it and be like, now I'm going to write about, you know, Capitol Hill. It just, what comes out comes out. And this one, when it started, so I had some lyrics on my phone. Like a lot of writers out there, I'll write little little lines down on my phone. And somewhere in 2020, uh, I, I wrote down this line, and it's the opening of the song, uh, not the, the spoken opening, which I'll go back to in a second. Uh, but the opening sung lyrics are, I only see with these Western eyes that I'm the hero, never one of the bad guys. And so for me, this always had kind of a, a cinematic quality to it, to that line. And so when I started tracking, out of nowhere, I did this, and I don't know if it's stupid. I think it worked, and I kind of like it. Um, With the exterior west of house, we open up with a long tracking shot of our lead, and he begins to sing. Because for some reason, this whole song kind of reminded me of those Hollywood westerns. You know, and the the camera's panning down across the plains in one long, you know, eight-minute steadicam shot, you know, and it passes some fences and you know, Kevin Costner's passed out against a tree and then it goes and there's there's John Wayne on a hill and it just had this feel of, of the western hero 
And so the whole song just sets up, you know, with these, you know, archetypal American heroes. And the song at its foundation is all about the, the dichotomy of how we see ourselves versus how we really are. And that's, I mean, that that's hard for anyone. It's hard for me. I'm sure it's hard for you if you're listening out there. And we really have a problem with it in culture today. Uh, we only like to communicate how we see ourselves, you know, and we forget that we're never, you know, the movie that we think we are. We're all the gunk that's under that. And then this part came out of my tracking when I was looping verses. I don't know why. Maybe I had an old Bible somewhere, but it's the, I got my book. You know that it's King James. Good enough for Jesus, man. So why should I ever change? And that came about, and I forget the story. It's probably an urban legend, but it's like of the old guy, you know, someone's uh, speaking a different language and, you know, they come up and the the old white guy tells him to speak English because if it was good enough for Jesus, it's good enough for you. Uh, This idea that, that Jesus is, you know, blonde hair, blue eyed, always ripped for some reason, you know, like he was doing deadlifts when he wasn't doing anything else. With a perfect hipster beard. Yes, perfect hipster beard, you know, not looking like a bedraggled, homeless, you know, zombie or anything from someone who wandered the land. You know, th- This idea that, that this is the Jesus, you know, that, that we all know about from history, and he speaks English, and he only uses a King James Bible, which, I mean, we could dive in translation maybe in season three of how translations are so flawed, especially the King James. Uh, it, it just struck me as funny, you know, for some reason that this guy shows up on a horse and he pulls out a King James Bible and starts berating people, <laughs> you know, and, and then before we, you know, before we go into the chorus, kind of jump into the second verse too, you know, uh, my favorite verse in the whole song, uh, even after Tommy tried to ruin it, but it is definitely my favorite verse. I'm sure it's bright up on this hill. That's the city shining on a hill. The thing that Reagan pushed. Uh, just don't come any closer, babe, and let's agree to just ignore the smell of broken dreams and expired intent. Everybody wants to stay, but no one can afford the rent. Something about that one just completely tracked with where my mind was. I remember singing it, and I was smiling big and throwing it down. And, you know, we mentioned Tommy and the funny story. So when we track this, you know, Tommy's listening to this, and Tommy has ideas, people. He has ideas. I, I won't, you know, berate him for that, but sometimes his ideas. So after I say everybody wants to stay, but no one can afford the rent, he wanted to throw in a voice clip of someone saying, the rent is too damn high. <laughs> <laughs> like a spoken clip, right? Like a spoken clip. Yeah. And I believe my exact words were Tommy or I'm not going to turn this into a damn comedy song. Well, no, no. I mean, to his credit, that was Jimmy McMillan uh, of the the Rent is Too Damn High party. That was actually right. a thing. But I, I agree. It, it's a meme at this point. So, you know, and those two, I mean, those two verses just kind of set this stage, again, of this dichotomy. Uh, maybe it's rich and poor. Maybe it's a classist thing. Maybe it's an elitism thing. Maybe it's the 1%. You know, maybe it's us. You know, it, it doesn't really specify, you know, who the quote good guy is, you know, explicitly in the song. So I, I, I don't know if you could say, hey, he's definitely talking about, you know, insert person here. 
because there's a lot of all of us in this that have bought into this, again, using my air quotes, American dream, and we we church up some stuff and, and we push a narrative that isn't perhaps true. You know, we, we start describing things more of how we dream them and how we wish they could be than how they are. Because the American dream, at least right now, it is a dream. It is not an American reality. We have this dream that you'll buy your home and the 2.5 kids and all that. And that dream doesn't exist. I mean, if you live in California, uh, go try, buy a home. You You try. And unless you have, you know, you and your wife and your second wife and your cousin and, it, you know, their boyfriend and then a couple friends all working full time, then maybe you can buy a house here. But, you know, the reality we live in is, you know, broken dreams and expired intent. We try to do well. We have these desires, you know, but they don't work out that way. And the failing there is not that we had them to begin with. The failing is that we keep pushing them as if they were a reality that can be grasped because they cannot. You know, less do you think, Westies, that I'm only going to rip on California. You would be mistaken. Because, you know, there is the escape. There's the migration. California lost, what, 2% of its population uh, in 2019. I think the last time it was tracked and we got, you know, 40 million people. So it's not that many. But then you have people escaping, and sometimes they're escaping to different uh, political ideas. You know, you something like Texas. Some people escape to Texas because it's more Republican or more conservative. You know, and this song applies to a place like Texas as well. You know, there's a big smell there. You know, in uh, uh, voter suppression and the suppression of women's rights, uh, in the suppression of the LGBTQ community. You know, in other places like Oklahoma and the red states. It has the same issues as the blue states. So don't think I'm just ripping on one because if you know me and you've listened to this podcast enough, I will rip on all of you, including myself, because that's the smell. It's all 50 states, you know, and and whether we have an R or a D or I hope an I next to your name, you know, it's that we are all complicit in pushing this dream. Even the people that think that we are not. Because God knows we've all got our King James that we carry around thinking that we've got the right answer. And my rant has started a little early, and that's Lance's fault. You're welcome. But you know, let's uh let, let's go over let's go over to the chorus and then really jump into it. You know, and that's and, and I'll read it out here. Uh American, and I took off the A. That's strictly meme talk there. You know, it's a America. It, it's that whole thing because it's it's so ridiculous. Uh, the how we have idolized this damn country into thinking that we are the promised land. Spoiler, we're not. Uh, and, you know, running around with our guns and our attitudes. And there's a reason that the rest of the world thinks we're ridiculous. And a lot of it has to do with the way we carry ourselves. Okay, still ranting. Uh, let's read the course. American, it's hard to do, because it is. It's hard to play this role, damn it. Uh, here's where it gets fun. Uh I don't have time to give a damn, but I got a pretty flag for you. American, don't lose your shine and just look white in the mirror, dear, and everything will be fine. That's a part that's a little hard to hear on the album. Uh, 
some people they think i think he was saying just look right in the mirror and he just you know slurred it no i'm saying just look white in the mirror and that is on purpose in case you thought i made a mistake the only reason i know that was the case is because you sent me the lyrics to sing back up on because i did hear as i was mixing it and like i mentioned in the last episode i mix and then add my vocals once i have a feel for the song I was convinced it was just look right in the mirror. And then you sent me the lyrics, just look white. And I was like, oh. Yeah, me too. Oh, okay. I see what you did there. It's, uh, you know, and when you're listening, it's what your your brain expects to hear. You know, it expects to hear, oh, just look right in the mirror, but no. And again, that shines a light on one of our biggest problems and one of the attitudes that we have, and I'm one of them, as white people. You know, it's it's very easy for me as a white person to say, look at all these problems with our country. And, you know, if you would just be more like me, everything would be fine. Because we have this idea, whether we explicitly say it or not, uh, when you hear people say like, you know, they just need to be a good American or they need to be uh, a patriot, that people are basically saying, please act white. Don't don't act like you're black or Mexican or Asian. Uh, you need to act li- act white, and then you'll have the American dream, because that's what we pushed, you know. And you know, coming up in the late 1800s and 1900s, and then you have you know Jim Crow, and you have redlining. We did everything we could to keep uh, people of color out away from our little, I don't know, our our little white. Uh, what's the word I'm trying to say? white utopias, you know, where we erected these walls because we wanted to be around people like ourselves, you know, and that's why you see, uh, especially redlining. If you don't know about redlining, please look it up in a real history book. It's, it's what the banks did to, to keep, uh, black Americans in, in their own part of town, which led rise to the ghettos and they would not give them mortgages in the white parts of towns. It's horrible stuff. But if you were white, you know, you could get away with almost anything. And that's where we have things like white privilege, which we could argue, you know, maybe not between the guys who are here, but we could argue with all our nice texters and callers out there. Something like that exists. Well, damn it. It sure as hell does. And it doesn't mean that, you know, I haven't faced struggle or anything in my life, but it sure means that I have certain privileges just based on my color that other people do not. Certain things that I don't have to worry about. You know, and the age old one is if I get pulled over by the police, I'm not worried that they're going to shoot me. Never does it cross my mind where other people don't have that freedom. That is white privilege in a nutshell. Uh, thoughts before we go to the bridge? I, I know I'm, I'm really going at it strong. I knew I would in this in this episode. So you've got me. You've you've turned you've wound me I, up. I, I, first of all, I think you did that to yourself because you wrote the song <laughs> and you said, hey, let's do a podcast on it. Um but but I love everything you're saying. I'm actually going to attack something from 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 left field, although it it shouldn't seem that out of place. Um, being a little bit younger uh, as a millennial, the other thing that this song kind of conjured up as far as the American dream, uh, my generation, and I'm as far as the general definition of millennials concerned, I'm pretty smack in the middle. Born in 1988, I'm 33 years old. Um, one of the things that we were hammered in growing up in the late 80s, late 80s and 90s was go to college, get the girl or get the guy, get the career, 
and and like you mentioned earlier, have the kids have the house. And more and more, that is becoming increasingly difficult, if not impossible, to do. And I will never forget the day I was at my community college uh, in the common room ditching my first period history class because that class was just a bunch of crap to begin with, which is its own story. Ditching that class, watching the news when the stock market was crashing because the housing market was crashing and the bubble had finally burst. And it was kind of starting to dawn on those of us who kept up a little bit more with current events that all this stuff, and for, for a lot of us, it took a few years, but all this stuff that we had been promised, this if you go to college and get the degree and get the career, you'll be fine, that went away. That was gone. And it has been gone for a long time. Now, there are obviously gradations of this. You know, the, it's, it's not a yes and no. It's a spectrum sort of thing. I have people I grew up with who have ended up in very successful careers. But the, the vast majority of people in my little microcosm of, of people roughly my age, a few years younger, a few years older, comparatively speaking, we're struggling. A few of us have managed to buy houses, myself included, and I feel completely blessed and grateful to have the opportunities. But I know so many people who can barely afford an apartment with a bedroom and a bathroom. And in my town in particular, we have like two laundromats on the south end of town and everybody else has to drive, you know, downtown. And again, it's not a huge drive. It's not LA traffic, but I know a good chunk, the majority of my generation is struggling and 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 we had a promise just pulled out from under our feet with the housing market primarily you know bursting and following that with the um, Occupy Wall Street protests and all of that just went away from us. So coming at it from a millennial, the American dream, we completely rec- I think most of us anyway, completely recognize that it's dead at least in the form that it was promised to us. I would genuinely be interested to hear what people from Gen Z, the generation after me, the people who are just coming up in their teen years and their early 20 years, have to say about this and and what they're being taught and what they're expecting. And I'm interested to see what the next 10 years hold for them as they come into their 20s and 30s. You know, I'm just hearing just a lot of complaining and whining. Uh, so, So I would answer with, you know, as a California homeowner, you know, in, in my career doing well, you know, why wouldn't we stay when it's all that we know? You know, do you really think that I would give up the dream? It seems to me that you could be here too if you just tried a little harder and I took my foot off your neck. That last line sounds familiar. I think I sang that one. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, I mean, obviously I'm being sarcastic. Bobby was not whining in any way. So I just, I answered with the bridge. But that is the response that usually you get when, you know, someone from a millennial or God help the Gen Zs, my Lord, uh, you know, gets told, you know, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Or I paid for my college. Why do you want relief on your loan? Yeah, well, your college was $800, not 80000 I just want to point out that Pulling yourself up by your bootstraps is a physical impossibility. You cannot <laughs> do it. That's the point of the saying. Well said. Sorry, I got. 
Yeah, picture the visual there. <laughs> you know, and it it's this whole the ridiculousness of it. Of and you see it, you know, I'm successful, so you should be too. Well, you were also born with a million dollars in your trust account. You weren't successful. Someone was. To quote Eddie Vedder, you were born on third and you think you hit a triple. <laughs> nice. Nice. You know, that's that's not reality. Uh, but, I mean, this bridge, it's it's a smack in the face. And we, we got a video review of of the album. And uh, so this guy, he goes by the, the moniker Spider Hands, which he's Australian, so they got weird spiders down there. They're very dangerous. Uh, but I want to play the audio of him hearing this part for the first time. So let's roll that. Wow, if you tried a little harder and I took the foot off of your neck. Oh boy. Oh boy. That hits a little bit. That that hits deep. Clever lyrics though, man. Clever lyrics talking about So the, so that that guy's reaction, that's the reaction I want people to have. You know, when they sit down and listen to the lyrics. I want it to be a very visceral thing that you're hearing one thing and then you have that line come in the and I took my foot off your neck. You know, which just kind of slaps you in the face. I mean, that that seems like the self-referential point because of the song, because the the verse and the chorus seem very un unself-aware, self-unaware, however you want to phrase that. Where where it seems like there's that one line where it kind of recognizes what the song is for what it is, and I thought that was a very clever twist right there in your songwriting. You know, I think my you raise a you raise a really good point. I don't think I'd kind of pointed uh not pointed out. I don't think I kind of grasped that, you know, the verses are very not self-aware and then kind of the bridge brings it home. But I did have that worry in the back of my head that some Yahoo, some fool somewhere would listen to this song and take it as an anthem rather than, you know, the point I'm trying to make. You know, that they would listen and be like, yeah, America. Yeah, we're, we're white and we got flags. So, I mean, hopefully that doesn't happen. And if it does, I I got nothing. <laughs> I, I, if you don't know this is satirical, man, then I, then I can't help you. So God help anyone who takes it seriously. Yeah, I'm going to go back to the chorus because there's a few lines in here that to me is what speaks and hits the hardest. Like you said, Bobby, the verses are kind of obviously the satire is there, but it's not obvious becomes more obvious to me as a challenge in the chorus. And then you just talked about the bridge. It kind of literally punches you in the neck um, in many ways, but there's a couple lines in the chorus that are pretty powerful. I mean, America, it's, it's hard to do. And I think it's when you step back, I mean, life's hard. It's hard all over the planet, but Sometimes in America, I think we forget how many privileges we have compared to practically everyone south of the equator. So it's it's a perspective problem. And that's what the chorus for me is. It's a perspective issue. And we need to like knock on all, our, our neighbors and just kind of remind them that we've got it pretty good. And Eric, you've said it a bunch where it's really about... It's not if you don't need to just be nice to everybody, but just you don't need to be a dick to everybody, right? Like th there's a, a theme here, I think, in a lot of our songs. 
But the line that says, I don't have time to give a damn, it's it's really that selfishness. It's really what it comes down to. And a lot of, some of our songs, I think we hit on this. I don't have time to give a damn, but I got a really pretty flag for you. Like that's that American dream. That's obviously this false handshake that Bobby as a, a Gen X or sorry, a Gen Z or millennial. Sorry, millennial. But like, again, that promise, right? And then again, don't lose your shine. And this is kind of the everything and everything's going to be fine. But honestly, for me, it's it's that problem that we have in our, wherever we are, but our country compared to what a lot of the planet has. We have so much given to us. We have so many privileges. And I don't care where you are on the spectrum of wealth that we lose that perspective. And that's what I love about this song. It's for Americans to listen to I hope they recognize that we all have a role to play. I don't care where you are, if you are a Republican, Democrat, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. Every day you have a choice, and, and I hope that people choose to benefit and help and bless others because everybody has, somebody, somebody you meet every day has a worse situation than you and I, or the three of us, let's say, tonight. And that's what I love about this song is it's really that look look in the mirror, regardless of what color you are, what can you do today or tomorrow that it benefits somebody else um, and puts you out of the situation? It's not about you. It's about somebody else. And can we just care about anyone else more than ourselves? That's the challenge I hear in the chorus for sure. Um, that's my little piece. And that's what, that's partly why Eric, it has become often my album starter song that I'll start with this one. Poor entwined. But there's that, and, and- there's that bleed in and it's just distracting to me. But anyway, it's just kidding. <laughs> it's a good starter too. Eric, I'd I'd be curious to talk about the line, but I got a pretty flag for you. Um, so I grew up. My dad was in the Air Force for 25 years, and thank goodness he never saw combat. But he was in the Air Force from 1980 to 2005. The bulk of his work uh, was on the tail end of the Cold War, and then uh, the early stages of the war overseas in Iraq and Afghanistan. Uh, and 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 his where he fit in with that, and the so the flag, in in reference to the American flag, the stars and stripes, the meaning of it in my world, in my upbringing, has changed a lot because it used to mean, and this is speaking personally for me, I won't speak for anybody else, it used to mean love for country, and I know for. Over the last, particularly the last, let's say five years, uh, maybe longer that I that I haven't been paying attention to, it seems to have been co-opted by a lot of people who, rather than claiming to love their country, will sort of take things that you could subject, uh, excuse me, objectively constitute as hate or um, just just sort of vitriol against other people and attribute that to patriotism there there seems to be what what i'm not so subtly alluding to is the very far right there are a lot of the the so-called quote-unquote patriots with a capital p who who seem to in pop culture have co-opted the flag as a symbol for their conservatism and my myself personally where it used to mean love for country and I saw this happening over the last five to let's stretch it to seven years. I had a reaction towards the very end of the Trump administration 
where I saw American flags being waved with Trump Pence flags and MAGA flags. And I had a violent, visceral reaction where I said, I want my goddamn flag back. Where I used to wave that flag proudly, I feel ashamed to wave the stars and stripes because I feel like in the eyes of the general public in America, and I won't speak for the rest of the world, uh, or at least for anybody, for myself, I feel like it's turned into a joke. And it's turned into this sort of symbol of like, look at me, I'm doing this because I quote unquote love America. I, I, I'm interested to see your point of view on that particular line because that's what I got from it. Uh, you're pretty spot on. You know, I, I have a lot of the same feelings. The flag, you know, I grew up, I had, you know, clothing when, uh, with flags on it. I had it like uh, on the underside of my guitar where I could throw it up after a show, you know, in the late 80s. Uh, you know, I mean, I mean, a lot of us did. And really recently, the flags, it's become weaponized. Uh, it's become very performative. You know, like a secret club handshake. And I'm, I'm kind of in the same boat with you. I mean, I, I can't in good conscience rock a flag right now. Because it's, I mean, it, it, in a lot of ways, it's equivalent to the term Christian. You know, Christian used to mean something very different 10, 15, 20 years ago. And now that's also something that's been co-opted by the far right. Christian, American, evangelical, you know, this idea that, that these are the secret labels that you put on, you know, to get in this very exclusive club of where you look white in the mirror and everything will be fine. And I, I have a lot of pain. My dad was in the Air Force as well, uh, did not see conflict, but he was in the Korean War and he did a lot of more mechanic stuff in the Philippines. And, you know, I had, before he passed away, we used to have kind of discussions, you know, as my paradigms were changing. And he wasn't all gung-ho flag because he actually saw a lot of issues uh, in this country before I did, which is weird because he was this very kind of apolitical guy and just kind of gruff and grumpy. So you would expect him to be, you know, all... I don't know, a hardcore Republican, and he wasn't. Uh, he was older. He still had some racist tendencies that he got from my grandparents, but that's a whole nother podcast about how we grew up with that sort of thing. But he, he kind of pushed me towards a different view of the flag, and then as I grew and mature and then seeing what happened, you know, we can't raise an issue of the flag without going back to Colin Kaepernick. And Colin Kaepernick, if you don't know, of course you know, because everyone knows. Uh, sat down on the bench during the Star Spangled Banner, got a lot of heat for it. And some vets talked to him. They wanted a meeting and they said, you know what? Don't sit down, take a knee. Because if you, if you want to protest something or bring awareness to something, don't sit on the bench like a petulant child, which is kind of the message that, but that sent. They said, take a knee. This came from veterans. You know, the people who were there fighting for America, not for the flag, no one is fighting for a damn piece of cloth. You know, and, and we may get into kind of the idolatry of the flag, but they told him to take a knee and he did. And it was such a powerful image. And you knew the message got across by the reaction that came afterwards. Calling this guy every word in the book, death threats to him and his family, telling him that he wasn't black enough because his mom was white. Horrible things that were said to this young man who was just trying to shine a light at the time on police brutality. 
But you saw that people valued a song, a national jingle, which if you go into further verses, really has some uh, racist things in it, and a piece of cloth, which that's what it is. It's a flag. It's red and white and blue, and it's sewn together. If anything, it's what about the ideals of America? You know, what about, you know, this idea that all men and women are created equal? This is what people died for. This is why people went to war and why we stood up against England and we said, you know what, hey, what you're doing is not cool. We have these ideals as America where we're not going to fall under a king because we're all equal. And granted, we can go further back in time and then talk about slavery and how that didn't work out because we are a work in progress and we have a very bloody and dirty history. But when that happened, you saw really clearly that these things are still alive today, that people still worship the damn flag. They still worship a song and they cared more about that than some young man's pain because he wasn't black enough or because he was rich or because God forbid he used a platform to leverage what privilege he has to draw attention to some, to an issue. Why wouldn't we do that? And now that in 2021, that divide seems to be even wider. We haven't gotten better if anything. And I think you guys would probably agree. We've gotten worse. You know, we, we said it a million times, and Lance said it earlier, don't be a dick. It's an interesting thing you bring up, Kaepernick, because I remember when I first saw that happening, Kaepernick kneeling, and it make, I'm, not, I'm not a sports guy. Um, I, I don't give two craps about it, but I remember it making national news and a lot of my more conservative-leaning friends and family member making a stink about it on social media. My instant inclination when something happens that's causing a lot of people to voice opinions and voice offense. And, and, and I myself, when things happen, if I feel myself getting offended, I would urge the West of House listeners to do, I don't want to say like, do as I do and you'll be fine. But what I try to do is when I recognize that I feel offended by something that's happening, rather than having a lashing out and a violent uh, just visceral reaction to you're not you know respecting this or doing that or this is had, this isn't how we do it in America. I would urge the listeners if you're still with us to really take a second, sit on what you feel is offending you at first, chew on it, and try to figure out why it is that you're feeling offended at it. And and, and it may be that it deserves actual offense. It may be something like uh, racial inequality and police brutality. Or it may just be something as 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 thinly veiled and as paper thin as white privilege. And I would urge you to anytime you feel just offended by anything to really delve in and solve that about yourself. Because you can really learn about a lot about yourself and about the culture that you're growing up in. And I know we have uh, fans across the world. It's not just Americans, but I know that the bulk of our fans are Americans, and I would urge them to really take the time to sit with what offends them and really seek out why it offends them. And perhaps it's valid and perhaps in more cases it's not. And you learn a little bit more about yourself and grow as a human being and learn to just be stronger and be a better American and be a better fellow human. You know, that is really wise and mature, Bobby. I I have those thoughts every now and then when I'm not drinking. (laughs) <laughs> well, that's a good one. I mean, and absolutely spot on. You know, when we're offended, 
the immature thing is to strike back immediately. And it takes some discerning to be able to say, okay, why am I offended? How does this relate to me? Is there something I can change to be better? Because there always is. And then how do I respond in a productive way? You know, we seem to have lost this inability, you know, to see ourselves critically anymore or take accountability for our own actions. And we only judge the world now based on our own experiences. And what Bobby brings up, and, and we're getting close to the end, and, we, and it's so good, we should probably close on kind of that idea. Look around you, judge it however you need to, but then put yourself in the situation and fix that first. Because odds are you're the issue. We're always the issue. It's not something that, that pisses you off. It, it offends you. There's a reason that you're reacting viscerally to it. It's either bringing up some sort of negative aspect of yourself that needs to be fixed, you know, or it's something that goes against your very moral code. And those are two very different things. And it takes a mature adult to be able to tell the difference between the two. To know when it's about you and you're being convicted and you need to change your own stuff or when you need to fight against an injustice. And when you can pull that off, and I'm still trying, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm getting up there in, in years, but I'm still working on this and trying to better myself. But bravo, Bobby. I think you just, you put the cherry on top of the Sunday, and really brought it home. And, and we haven't let Lance talk too much, and, and that's sad because Lance always has something good and deep to say. So Lance, you just want to kind of wrap it up somehow or get some final thoughts in there before we close? I think one of my thoughts that I love about our band and these podcasts that we've kind of wanted to just rehash the experiences we had is that we can do songs like this that provokes thought. And that's something I'm so proud of. You know, we talked about that a little bit on the last episode of Entwined. These are some tough topics for and uncomfortable for a lot of us to even talk about, let alone listen to and rock out to that, that has depth. It, let me interrupt you just real fast before you continue. And excuse me, I don't no, mean to. Go ahead. But it, it, it kind of brings up something that I hear. So you're saying you're proud of these songs, you know, which I, I am too. So what is your response then to people? And we may even have some listeners here who are at this, you know, almost two hour mark being like, oh my God, shut up. What's your response to the people that just say, I don't care about your opinions. Shut up and play. Totally fine with that. I, I think life experiences and maybe seasons that we find ourselves in life. Music is is great and it's the life of a lot of people. And sometimes like me, I don't always listen to lyrics, but at some point, the fact that we're playing some good tunes with some content that is also provoking, maybe in another season in their life, they'll actually peel this onion and find something that is impactful to them. And that's what's great about art, right? Like it can mean anything to anybody. And sometimes when you have topics like this, <laughs> realizing that it's about what it is or not, it's totally fine. And that's what I love about a lot of our songs and what you do, Eric, and how you write these lyrics is they're provoking, but they're also what you want it to mean, or they're what I think they mean, or they're what Bobby thinks they mean. And we're all in slightly different generations, slightly, but it, it means something to, to all of us. And I'm totally cool with that. If it gets a good, healthy conversation, I'm totally supportive of that. So that's what I love about what we do. And I don't think a lot of bands can say the same. That was good. You, you have a very genial character. 
about you, and, and I appreciate it. It, it balance you're getting to my yang. It, it balances out my uh, my uh, bullheadedness. Why? Because how would you answer that question? It's a family show. I figured. <laughs> no, I. Well, I mean, I mean, the argument does come up when I hear someone say "shut up and play." My my comeback usually is, and sometimes maybe it's me getting offended, and I need to stop and think about it. But you know, you usually hear from people that say like, "Well, musicians shouldn't speak; they should just play music." As if, you know, your beliefs and thoughts and desires can be separated from your art, you know, which, which I don't know. I don't, I don't think they can, you know, I can't, I've written, you know, things that aren't necessarily as deep as American, of course, but, but this idea that, uh, you know, actors shouldn't talk about what they believe or musicians shouldn't talk about what they believe, but then why are random people on the internet allowed to talk about what they believe? You know, it's either we all can, or we all can't. You know, I guess um, the thing I'm trying to say is no one can be the gatekeeper of what you talk about on the platform that you have. But your version was a lot nicer, you know, and maybe they need to hear it at a different season in life. And I yeah, do respect that. Which is fine. We don't always have to agree about everything. That was good. Oh, but you know what we do agree on? That we should play American right now.
Okay, so there you go. Uh, man, that was that was a long episode, and we're not we're not splitting this one into two parts. You know, like uh, like the first episode, it's it's all there. You know, push pause. Hopefully, you did. If you had to use the restroom or gather your thoughts, but this is heavy stuff, and we don't want to shy away from it. But it still is good old fashioned rock and roll. But at the end of the day, that's that's all we have to hang our hats on, isn't it? So great job, guys. Uh, that was a fun one. Uh, next episode, that's going to be a fun one too. And it is about as inoffensive as a song can be. Uh, this next episode is Sunshine Girl, which uh, this is also going to be a great one. This song is really close to my heart. One of my favorites for sure. I think it was one of the last ones we did, but we'll get uh, into it when we get into it. It was, and one of the first ones I wrote. So this one, it lived a long time before it became what it did, but it's uh, it's just a beautiful little thing. It is. I think even last week I texted you, Eric, depending on the mood you're in, it's exactly what you need to just, I don't know, dwell. Let, let's, let's, uh, let's see what Eric has to say about that. Like, I feel like if they want to listen to Sunshine Girl, they should listen to the whole album. Yeah. How could I listen to that album? Uh, that would be good. You know, I, I would encourage anyone out there to listen to the album Drown the Wind by West of House. If you've forgotten who we are, we've only said it 60 or 70 times, uh, but the album is out everywhere you can stream music. Uh, the We have a video for Entwine that is out there on YouTube. Uh, and also, you know, what are we talking about? We've got the podcast too, which you're listening to. Have you subscribed? Have you pushed that little button on your podcast, you know, provider and push subscribe? You should do so because when we drop a new episode, you get that nice little notification. And if you're like me, most notifications suck. They're worthless. They're telling you that Bill needs needs coins, you know, for his pool plane and you better send them. This is a notification that doesn't suck. It's telling you that you get to listen to us ramble on for two hours about the things that you truly care about about rock and or roll and do it, you know, part of every day. But if you want to find more band stuff, you'll find us on social media. We are on Spotify, Apple Music, Bandcamp. You can go there. You can even buy the album digitally if you want to have a physical, a physical digital copy, I guess, since we're not doing CDs for this. That's at westofhouse.bandcamp.com. Our social medias, the Facebook, the Instagram, the Twitters, you can find those at those respective sites slash West of House Band. And you can also find us, like we mentioned before, on YouTube. And please subscribe there at youtube.com slash C, as in Chuckles, slash West of House. We crushed it. Did we catch it all? Did I miss anything? I think you got it, man. It, it's getting late, but I, I think I've run out of words. I only try to use like maybe 50 to 60 words in a day, but on the podcast... This is like three months of talking for me. We used all the really good words on the last episode. A lot of 50 cent words. Yeah, we, we did not throw down any cacophonies today. Straight to the point with this one. Oh, I, I feel good. I feel, li- I feel like my soul is cleansed now that we got this one out of, out of my system. This is the big one of the whole album. I mean, till Beautiful Distraction, and then you'll find out that's like about, I don't know. Nazis or something. What a teaser. We'll try to make it, you know, anti-Nazis, never pro-Nazis. No. Nazis are really the only people you should be allowed to punch, but that is a different podcast. It's true. The whole planet agrees with you. Whole 
wholeheartedly agree. <laughs> well, most most of the planet, sadly, but soon all will. So <laughs> I don't <laughs> really, I don't even know how to close this anymore. We've we've started off with welcomes and we're ending with punching Nazis, and that is Alpha to Omega Westies. Thank you so much for joining us on episode four of season two. Come back next week for Sunshine Girl. We will brighten and lighten the mood and you will leave floating on a cloud of love and happiness. I promise you. Thank you and we'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. My two-channel, whatever you call this, focus right. What is this? An interface. There it is. Interface. Yeah, that's all new technology for me. Anyways, those are two holes, aka two two uh, channels. <laughs> so I I <laughs> I think we found our egg. <laughs> You're so stupid. <laughs> <laughs> try try it again try try it again man that will probably be the egg but try it again that was definitely our egg